In light of God's faithfulness, in light of his goodness to us, we should be open to God's word, being sensitive to scripture. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being together this morning. It's our desire to be doers of your word as we look at Hebrews this morning. We desire your glory as we live out your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. If you can imagine that this is a fire, it's burning well. And as it is burning, we reach in or someone reaches in and takes the logs and separates them from each other. In a short period of time, the fire will go out because the logs need one another. A fire is dependent upon logs who are dependent upon each other. The body of Christ is dependent upon the head who is Christ. But God also designed the body of Christ that we are dependent upon each other. In the way of review, in light of this series we're going through, Christ and his body are a unit. You can't separate Christ from the body of Christ. The body, the church, is dependent upon Christ. We love Christ by loving his body. To neglect the body is to neglect Christ. To neglect his body is to neglect the head, Christ. We also discussed the fact that love for Christ is demonstrated through passionate commitment to consistent body life, the one another's, consistent corporate worship, and consistent following local church leaders. What we just mentioned is foundational to effective marriages, parent-child relationships, employer-employee relationships, relating to the government and godly relationships with unbelievers, as well as victory over Satan. Now, this morning we want to look at the whole issue of the body of Christ, corporate worship, spurring one another's on, spurring one another's on, one another's, one another. But some false teaching that has been around for quite a while since the beginning of the church. A believer in Christ can be healthy and maturing through good reading, radio, TV, speakers, concerts, Facebook, DVD studies, and small groups, and maybe occasional attendance at a local church. You say, why do you list that as false teaching I'm not saying that good reading, good radio speakers or TV speakers and so on are wrong. The scripture emphasizes the importance of faithful, committed, spurring one another on to loving good deeds and to corporate worship. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. 
Reading together verses 19, 19 through 25, Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 19, and then we'll look at the flow of the passage, the context, and so on. Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As we think about the book of Hebrews, please keep in mind that it was written to a group, and possibly a group of Christian Jews. Depends on the scholar you read as to whether it was Christian Jews or a combination of Gentile and Jews, but nevertheless written to a group of Christians. It was written to a body that is part of the body of Christ. And I emphasize it's written to a body. Treat the book as body, not individual. Don't read Hebrews as being addressed to the individual. Read Hebrews as being directed to a body of believers. Makes a world of difference in your understanding of the book of Hebrews. So the exhortations and the warnings are addressed to a body. They're not addressed to Cheryl. They're not addressed to Daniel or Lorraine individually. Applicable, yes, but addressed to a group of people. So we need to <clears throat> see it as addressed to a body. Thus, how does it influence the entire body? So when he says spur one another on, that's addressed to a body. So think, how does Hebrews apply to our local church? Rather than merely, how does it apply to me? Don't think the log individually. Think logs collectively. Let's go back to chapter 1 and verse 1. Just to see the larger context of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Hebrews 
about Christ. Christ being better than the angels. Christ being better than Moses. Christ being better than Melchizedek. Christ being better than Aaron. Christ being better than the sacrifices. <coughs> Excuse me, in the Old Testament. Christ is better than. And then another theme flowing through Hebrews is genuine faith perseveres. Why? Because Christ is better than. In chapter 9 and 9 and 10, we find that Christ once for all sacrifices mentioned. Back to chapter 9 now and verse 11. Chapter 9 and verse 11 of Hebrews. When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. The tabernacle is the writer talking about? Apparently the heavenly tabernacle. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, and so we may serve the living God. Christ, once for all. Look at chapter 10 and verse 10. And by that will we have made or been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And in verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The whole issue of Christ, once for all sacrifice. You find in Hebrews, we won't look at them, but there's a number of warnings in Hebrews. In chapter 2, 1 through 4, a very, very strong warning not to walk away from Christ. In Hebrews 3, he basically says, don't have a hard heart like the children of Israel did. In chapter 4, because of great, Christ being our great high priest, stick with Christ. You have freedom in approaching him. In chapter 5, he says, in essence, you ought to be mature, but you're not. Because you're not exercising in chapter 10, 26 through 31, he gives a very strong warning. You know, if you keep on deliberately sinning. In chapter 10, 35 through 39, he again gives a very strong warning. Don't walk away from Christ. Why such strong warnings? Because Christ offered a once for all sacrifice. It's done. Now, as we think about Hebrews, we need to, again, understand the temple. The temple, the tabernacle, God gave the design for the children of Israel as they were in the desert. The tabernacle was made, and then later on the temple was made. 
And we know that within the tabernacle itself, we had we have a holy place. And we have a holy, we're here, holy of holies, where the high priest would go into once a year. What happened? Christ went into the holy of holies in heaven and offered a sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice. And the tabernacle that was in the wilderness with the children of Israel camped around it, the priests would minister daily. Christ ministered once for all. So as you think about Hebrews 9, the earthly tabernacle, there was regular worship in the holy place. The heavenly tabernacle, that's greater. It's perfect. It is in heaven. The earthly tabernacle, you had a high priest who would go into the holy of holies once a year. Heavenly tabernacle is greater. It's perfect. It is in heaven. The high priest ministered each year. The earthly tabernacle, Christ, once for all, offered his blood in the heavenly tabernacle. The earthly tabernacle was unable to cleanse the conscience. And the heavenly eternal redemption was obtained. In the earthly, a person was outwardly clean. In the heavenly, there's a cleansing of our conscience. Again, emphasizing Christ and who he is. In Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, we find that the law was a shadow. Christ was reality. Under law, sacrifices were repeated endlessly each year. Christ once for all. Under the law, you were never made perfect. Under Christ, you're made perfect forever. Under the law, there's an annual reminder of sin. In Christ, there's no more sacrifice. Under the law, the blood of bulls and goats, which could not take away sin. But under Christ, a perfect sacrifice was made. Now, I want you to notice in Hebrews and verse 14, with, I'll begin with verse 13, Hebrews 10 and verse 13. Since that time, he waits for his enemies. Christ waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. The word perfect means to consummate. Placed in the condition of finality. No further provision to be brought to the goal. Through Christ's sacrifice, he has made perfect. Christ is better than. Through Christ, 
been made perfect. You pay off your mortgage. It's done. You can't pay anymore. You graduate from high school. You graduate from college. You can't graduate a second time. You're done. Christ perfected forever. Continuous, uninterrupted perpetuality. Those who are being made holy. If you get in an airplane and you start to fly west, you fly for a day, a year, five years, you're always flying west. God has perfected forever those who are being made holy. There's no end. It's forever. And when he talks about being made holy, the believer having not yet experienced the reality of perfect forever, positionally, yes, that's true, but still a struggle in day-by-day living. And then he goes on to say, in verse 18, And where there has been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Perfected forever and forgiveness. The idea of forgiveness is dismission, not discussion. Should be dismission. Let go. Sins have been let go. There's been pardon. They've been sent away. To illustrate that, Let's suppose these four sheets of paper, front and back, represent your sins. Sins that you have committed in the attitude of your heart, the desires of your heart, in your words and in your actions and in your beliefs. And if we're honest, four sheets would would not be enough. God says, through Christ, there is forgiveness. The record is destroyed. If any of you want to try afterward, you may come up here and pick up those pieces of shredded paper and put them together. You will try, and by the time you die, I don't think you will have accomplished it. What is present through Christ? There's forgiveness. God made the decision that through Christ there is forgiveness. So when we get to Hebrews 10, 19, we're talking about this greatness of Christ. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 comes immediately after 10 and a half chapters concerning Christ being better than Genuine faith persevering. It comes after chapter 9, 1 through 10, 18, which is very, very strong in the sufficiency of Christ. It's Christ and Christ alone. 
See, Hebrews 10, 19 through 12, 29 is one's response to Christ. And in that same context, he gives a strong warning. And again, the strong warning is because of Christ and what he has done. Now look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. In verses 19 through 21, he talks about our confidence. And the confidence is to enter the most holy place. Now remember the tabernacle. You had a, the holy of holies. And then you had the most holy place. Or I'm, you had the holy place. And then you had the Holy of Holies right here. And then there's a curtain. And then the Holy of Holies. What happened when Christ died on the cross? The curtain in the temple was torn. Indicating that because of Christ being our high priest, we can enter the Holy of Holies. We can go to God. The most holy place by a new and living way. We're talking about the heavenly, holy place. We can enter the very presence of God, if you please, because of Christ. That's our confidence. Therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a high priest over the household of God... We enter the most holy place, and we have a great priest who is over the house of God. Who is the great high priest? Jesus Christ. The one who is better than Moses, the one who is better than Aaron, the one who is better than the prophets. That's our confidence. It's not, I hope this is true, it's reality. Since you have this confidence to enter the most holy place in great high priest, or have a great high priest, in 22 through 25, he encourages some action. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and for assurance of faith. Draw near to God. Don't back away from him. Don't have that scared type fear that moves away from God. Draw close to him. Jesus Christ died. Draw close. If you please, a good hug. Draw near. A child who's afraid of the dark is outside with dad or mom. What will the child do? Draw close to dad, to mom. Saying, draw close. You have this confidence to enter the most holy place. You have a great high priest over the house of God. Draw close. We say, I'm not sure about this God. He already said that you're perfected forever if you're a believer in Christ. You're forgiven. So what's God going to bring up against you? Draw close. And then he says, hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. Verse 23, let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. 
hold unswervingly to this hope, expectation that you have. Verse 24, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know what spurs are? Rider on a horse has spurs on, you know, spurs the horse on to be moving on. And he's saying, spur one another on. You ever stop to consider as you come to... And get together with other believers thinking, how can I spur Estella on this morning? How can I spur Bill on this morning? How can I spur Alan on this morning? How can I spur Karen on this morning to love and good deeds? I think most of us here this morning need some spurring on to love and to good deeds. Where's that to come from? The body. Why? Because of Christ. Consider. Figure one another out how you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. When you're with other believers, how can I spur them on? Even when you're not with them, how can I spur them on? We all need it. Some of you sitting here this morning need some spurring on to love and good deeds. We say, Pastor, you do it. No, the body's to do it. He's writing to a body. And then he says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Apparently, since the beginning of the church, there's been a temptation to say, "Ah, I don't need to get together with believers for corporate body worship. The writer of Hebrews says, in light of Christ and what he has done, don't give up meeting together. But he says, encourage one another. The greatest discouragement that I've seen in the body of Christ, it has been mentioned to me repeatedly down through the years, has been... Well, where's so-and-so? Why don't they gather with believers? Sometimes we gather with believers and we say, well, I don't get a lot out of it. Well, maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about encouraging others and spurring them on to loving good deeds. I've done this already. (laughs) Especially when... I go to somewhere other than Roanbrook. I'm going to church and I thought, I'm not going to talk to anyone in this church that I visit this morning. I'm not going to talk to a single soul. And at the end of the service, I leave and I will think, boy, they've been very, very unfriendly. I don't think I'll go back there. They've been, they weren't very friendly. Well, then I'll go to another church and I think, I'm going to just talk to people and try to be an encouragement and do whatever I can. I walk up, hello, how are you? You know, talk to them and try to encourage a couple of people along the way. And maybe someone shared something in a Sunday school class or mentioned something in church and catch them afterwards. And I'll leave the building and I say, boy, that was really a great time. 
But what's the difference? One is focus on me. The other is focus on others. And that's where Hebrews 10 is coming from. He's writing to a body. Don't get hung up on yourselves. We come together. It's an opportunity to spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's an opportunity to encourage others. It's not about us individually, but as a body. And that comes again in the context after all this writing about Christ. So please understand the foundation here that Christ and his body are a unit. The body of Christ is a unit. Therefore, what one member of the body does influences the entire body. Consider one another so that you can spur them on. Maintain your confidence. Draw near to God. The entire body is to be concerned about the body. If judgment comes upon a body, a local body, it doesn't come upon one person, but the entire body. My brother Orv died of cancer. His cancer began in one part of his body. It influenced his whole body. And in time, he died. So Peggy may be struggling deeply, and we just let her go. She don't influence anyone else. The writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, she does. The entire body. So when I went to the doctor years ago with a little growth in my forehead, I thought, piece of cake, nothing to it, no problems. When I walked out of the surgeon's office and he said to me, I have no idea what's wrong. You need to have surgery as soon as possible. That was Friday, and he wanted to operate Monday. And his last words were, expect the worst. He was giving me my death sentence. He's saying that little thing in your forehead is going to influence your whole body. You need to do something now. That's the writer of Hebrews. We're part of a body. We influence one another. As Westerners, we think individual. But Scripture speaks of body. One believer's sin of disobedience in 10, 19 through 25 influences the entire body. We struggle in thinking that way because we've been told time and time again, how does this Scripture apply to you individually? And I'm not saying it doesn't apply to you individually, but think about the body collectively. We influence the entire body. He says the head and the body are a unit. The body is a unit. He says, consider one another how you may spur one another on. People have died 
in terms of a healthy walk with God because no one considered them and spurred them on to loving good deeds. We're a body. Don't think individual, think church. Please notice the union of God and Christ in the body. Draw near to the head. Draw near to God. Hold on swervingly to the faith we profess. And then in the next verses, what does he say? Consider how you may spur one another on and meet together. I may drift from Christ. But if I'm drifting from Christ, I'm drifting from the body. I can't drift from Christ without drifting from the body. If I'm drifting from the body, I'm drifting from Christ. You can't separate the two. They're a unit. So in light of that, a drift from God, Christ, is seen in a drift from the body of Christ. So in light of the Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, when a believer's drawing near to God wavers, the entire body should be concerned. That person should be reached out to by fellow believers. Don't wait on Pastor Dan and the elders. We're a body. You say, I'm noticing someone doesn't seem to be uh, drawing nearer to God as they used to be. So you go to someone and say, did you notice this person? No, don't go to someone else. Go to the person and say, I notice that you're not drawing near to God like you did. This week, someone said to me, uh, what about so-and-so? <laughs> no, concerned about a particular young person. And I said to the individual, go talk to them. Go talk to them. They need it. If they're not drawing close to God, then they need to hear that from you. They've heard it from some other people already, but they need to hear it from you too. As a body. When a believer is not holding fully to the hope we profess in Christ, the entire body should be concerned. The person should be reached out to by multiple fellow believers. Don't wait on myself or the elders. Reach out. You notice they're not holding on swervingly to the hope that they profess. They're slipping. Reach out. We're a body. They influence the whole body. When a believer moves from spurring others on toward love and good deeds, the entire body should be concerned. That believer should be reached out to by a multitude of believers. So you notice that someone has kind of backed off and they're not reaching out to encourage others like they used to. What if that person was contacted 10 by 10 believers within the next month. I notice you've been slipping. You haven't spurring on. You haven't been holding close to Christ. What's going on? I'm encouraging you 
to stay close to Christ. We say, that's what you were getting paid for, Pastor. That's not what Scripture says. I'm to equip you for you to do the work of the ministry. When a believer moves away from consistent meeting together for corporate worship, the entire body should be concerned that believers should be reached out to by multiple, multiple believers. Just reaching out with care, with concern. So you notice someone maybe used to worship and they've been slipping some. They don't come quite as frequently as they used to. You say, hey, I want to talk to you. Give them a buzz. You write them a note. <clears throat> Whatever the case may be. And say, you know, I've noticed you've been slipping. What's going on? And they're contacted by a number of believers. That's where Hebrews 10 is coming from. In light of this greatness of Christ... Here's the way you live. Here's the way you respond. That means we care deeply for one another, seeking to draw near to God, holding on swervingly to the hope we profess, considering one another, figuring one another out, spur them on toward loving good deeds, and meeting consistently. See what happens when you separate logs from one another that are on a fire? The fire goes out. And the same is true when we live as islands, as individuals. We go out. I'll close with an illustration, and some of you already know this. One of the most difficult times in my life was when I had surgery to have a skull tumor removed. <clears throat> and the reason it was difficult is because I separated myself from the body. Oh, I was around people, but I didn't tell a single soul I told Ruth Ann to zip the lip, you don't tell anyone. Well, eventually it came out, you know, when I had to say to the, you as a church, you know, I'm going to have surgery, and here's what? That was sin on my part. What was I doing? I was pulling away. That hurt our church for a period of time. Hurt Ruth Ann and I very deeply. but no one came up to me afterward when the reality of what I'd done came to light, came up to me and said, Pastor, you were wrong. You claimed to draw near to God while withdrawing from fellow believers. That was wrong. Someone should have. That's the body. We care deeply for one another because Christ is our head.
And we want others to draw near to God, to hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, to spur one another on toward loving good deeds, and to faithfully gather together. Caring deeply enough that we move towards living in that way. I'll close with a question. Has God, through His Spirit, challenged you this morning and said, no, you need to look at this, or you need to look at that? If so, will you respond and say, okay, God, I'll respond and act for your glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ. He's far superior to Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and so on. Thank you that in Christ we have been perfected forever. We have forgiveness. In Christ we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We can draw near to you with a sincere heart. And then, Father, may we respond by drawing near Not only drawing near, Father, but spurring one another on to love and good deeds and encourage others as we think about corporate worship. We want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.